Hi, and welcome to the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon. On today's episode, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to talk predictions. A couple of things happened that inspired the idea for this one. One that we'll talk about a little later with Bobby Scales, where we were both watching the same game, and he told me what was going to happen before it happened. The other goes back a few years. We once worked with Adam Gutridge, former assistant GM of the Mets. He's devised his own projection system, and he said once, wouldn't it be great to do a podcast with someone who invented stats and asked them how they do it? So with that, we bring in Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs, the creator of the much-heralded Zips Projection System. He does predictions on players. They're all over Fangraphs. He does predictions on team. He just ran a story, actually, asking if the A's were going to lose 120 games. Hey, Dan. Hey, how's it going today, Mark? Good. Let's let's talk predictions. And before we get into the nitty-gritty, I'm reading this A's article, and it said that you ran your Zips system to generate 50 million projections. So... What the heck? Is your supercomputer <laughs> playing like a billion games of Stratomatic or something? Uh, well, it's, it's done in a very general sense. Uh, the way I project a season is slightly different from the way uh, the Fangraphs site itself does it, also because it's a lot more in, intense than the Fangraphs site can do very easily. Uh, what, what, what Zips does is it takes the percentile projections for each player up to date at any given point. Uh, it kind of re-rolls a million different versions of a team. Uh, sometimes players will be healthy, sometimes players won't, and in in that case, Zips will fill in based on the depth chart to try to try to kind of just give a rough simulation of kind of the, the travails of a baseball season, uh, and that that helps in some cases. Uh, Zips has generally been pretty high on the Cardinals when other systems haven't, and has has worked out well for them, and and Zips tends to favor depth in this way, which I hope and I believe, you know, accurately reflects to to as much as we can uh, just how teams are run. Uh, so Zips first simulated a million seasons of every team to kind of get a shape of what their true underlying ability is. And then using the, the odds ratio uh, log five for those who are familiar with the Bill James concept, uh, Zips simulates out the schedule for the rest of the season uh, for each team. And then, you know, Puts it all in the blender and see what comes out on the other side. So uh, I, I prefer the billion games of Stratomatic, but that's cool. Um, let's do origin story for a minute here, just for people. I, I think most people that are going to listen to this are probably familiar with who you are and what you do. But just give us a sense of the origin story of the projection system in terms of how yours came about and what the goals of it are. Well, in the late 90s, I was one of the Usenet baseball nerds. Uh, unless you're a Gen Xer or older, you probably don't remember Usenet, uh, for anyone who's listening. Uh, but those were news groups. They were kind of the equivalent of the blogosphere or Twitter in the 90s, uh, kind of a shared text system that was pretty education-based. Uh, you saw it on colleges was was kind of the, the impetus for the distribution of that system. Uh, and... I was a rec.sport.baseball poster, and a lot of the baseball prospectus guys started out there. Sean Foreman, Vorsch McCracken. Uh, so there's a lot of, of familiar names if you're into the whole stat nerdery uh, scene. Uh, and uh, a friend of mine in the late 90s, uh, Chris Dial, who people might be familiar with from his defensive work with Sabre, uh, we talked about we could – we joked that we could do a projection system – that was quick and easy and did most of like what a good projection system would do. Uh, Tom Tango later did a similar thing independently uh, in Marcel to get that idea. But 
Chris and I, we never really got around to doing that. Uh, and a few years later, I was I was doing some blogging and I kind of wanted to revisit the idea. Uh, I like to create players in games like Diamond Mine Baseball or Tony La Russa Baseball in the 90s. Uh, so I decided to dip my toe into projections and it became kind of a more complex thing than I expected. Uh, and I'm surprised that the little thing I was fooling with in 2002 and 2003 is actually useful 20 years later. Uh, <laughs> but that's that's kind of, I guess, how life works sometimes. You don't really know what to expect, which I guess is a good thing. So what's the background for how you would create something like that? Just starting simply with like what, uh, I know you're very big into artificial intelligence. Like what kind of computer things do you need to know to be, and then the math uh, basis for it too. How do you combine all that stuff? And then how do you avoid overfitting and including too many things in the mix? Well, overfitting is the challenge of any model creation because it's anyone who does this kind of, of work can tell you there's kind of an art to making a model. You never really know what the right answer is. It's not like you run a, a principal component analysis that says you must use this and do not use this. Uh, overfitting can be a problem. There are techniques to 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 get around that issue to some extent. Uh, Cross validation uh, for some someone who might not be familiar with the concept. It's essentially resampling the inputs to make sure that you're not finding just false things, which can which can happen, especially with data like baseball players, because we're relying on relatively uh, a low number of players. What what's uh, a common overfit then? Uh, well, I I won't use it for a. Uh, well, if you were projecting with with characteristics and say you had guys who had huge triple outbursts were uh, like in young as young players tended to have huge batting average spikes, then you, you would might see, depending if the model is not calibrated well, you might see too much of, of a leaning on players of a similar type when it's not even like relevant. Uh, for example, if you took a model of my family you would find a correlation between body weight and salary, uh, which which is kind of an odd thing, but they're not actually related. But if you did a model with all the things, education, background, body weight, you would end up with a model that, that being fatter was more profitable when it actually is not a a, a good variable in, in any sense of the uh, of, of the word. Uh Another thing I like to do is I'm also very careful with how I implement new things in Zips. When I develop something or implement some kind of new idea or algorithm change it's usually a few years until it's actually into the main model the zips model that ran for 2023 was actually finalized in, in 2021 mainly i like to have actual new data i don't want to rely on on on, on cross-validation i want you know new information i want to make sure everything works because the consequences of breaking everything are significantly have a higher magnitude than the slight benefits you get from a slight improvement of the model so let's talk specifics uh and let's first start i brought them up before you ran your your bazillion simulations on the a's uh are the a's gonna lose 120 they might and that what what makes them fun uh Zips wasn't super down. Well, you know, I always joke that if you're going to be bad at something. Might as well, right? Yeah, be the best you can at, at, at being bad at things. Everyone remembers the 1962 Mets. No one remembers really to the same extent the Tigers. Yep. Uh, what, Most people can't name the year. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm even trying to think off my head. It was like, was it 2003? I think it was. 
uh, I'm actually searching. Yeah, it was 2003. I'm like, I know Tramble was the manager, and I think Carlos Pena was around. I mean, that's you don't remember the Tigers with that same fondness because they only won 119 games. They weren't clutch enough to lose two more. Right. All right. So, so your projection system said what, like 10% chance? Uh, it depending on the assumptions because that's that's what it comes down to when you're doing a simulation is you you have to make a set of assumptions. Generally speaking, depending on it, it was about five percent based on the roster now. But if they shed two wins of 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 roster strength at the trade deadline, then all of a sudden <laughs> it goes up to ten percent. And as we know from the A's in the past, they're going to do they, that. Yeah, they're very very capable of tr- of dumping talent at the trade deadline. If this were the Rockies, I wouldn't even suggest that as an option because the Rockies are going to the Rocky just keep going and doing what they're doing. But the A's there would be no reason not to trade players who would fetch uh, a good price um, on the trade market. So I, I do think it's possible. And this was actually, I wouldn't say high on the A's, but the A's have had this tendency in, even when they struggle, is they're really good at finding number four and number five starters who aren't horrible. They can have like a whole rotation of these guys. You, you know, they come through the minors. They're not on any prospect lists. They throw 92 and strike out six batters a game, but they they come up, they have like an ERA of 4.3 something and they're okay. Not terrible, but that has kind of stopped this year. Uh, the, the general, players they've called up have been absolutely terrible except for mason miller who of course is injured right now i mean the rotation has just been bonkers bad uh it it, it's it's been quite shocking because the a's usually are able to fake a rotation but that has fallen through this year all right let's talk former a's let's talk matt chapman you read about him uh recently and the season that he's had so far and how that affected what you do because you do day-to-day projections where your numbers can change instantly so chapman's numbers now projection wise look considerably different from what chapman's numbers were before the season started um what did you find on him uh, well, the, well the thing with chapman is his his exit velocity numbers and just the rate he's hitting balls hard has just exploded this year and you don't normally see that with a 30 year old guy usually at that point you're you are what you are but he has been torching the ball this year i mean you look at his numbers and as good as they are as of last week he had uh four 400 foot hits that weren't home runs that was the most in baseball at that time it was like a week or a week and a half ago when i looked at that uh no one else had more than two and like 30 players had one but chapman even with his numbers had four that were just hitting the wrong part of the park because he's hitting a lot to center field uh i mean he has been just killing the ball and it it does change the projections over the course of a season um i I thought that doing in-season projections was one of my better notions in the last 20 years because people tend to think of projections as kind of one single number that's like set in stone at the beginning of the season. That's what's going to happen. But in fact, a projection is just a snapshot of our best statistical belief about a player at a very specific point in time. Uh, And it's always changing. Every at-bat adds new information about a player and changes the expectation, even if it's slightly. Uh, So I like the the trend towards doing more in-season projections because it kind of reinforces the notion that a projection is a living, changing thing, not something that's, that's, that's very just 
rigid. Projecting can be challenging for young players, and projecting defense can be challenging too. Uh, you just read about Casey Schmidt, who so far has played three different positions for the Giants, short, third, and second. Um, how does Zips project defense and explain it maybe in the context of what you're trying to figure out with what Schmidt's going to be? Uh, well, one of the challenges when you're projecting players, of course, is getting defensive numbers from the minors. And defensive data for the minors is not very good, especially what the public can get or even someone who's semi-connected to get things like I am. Uh, so what I did a few years ago is I started charting uh, using game day uh, coordinate data, the location of every hit ball in the minors uh, and the probability based on the, the description of the speed and the location of that ball turning into a hit and made kind of a probabilistic measure of minor league defense. And it's had some successes. Like Louis Robert of the Chicago White Sox, this method had him as one of the best defensive players uh, in the minors the year before he came up. And I, I've had good success there. Uh, Mike Ostremski was another player that Zips really liked as a corner outfielder defensively based on his minor league performance. And he, especially when he came up, he was a, a pretty solid fielder out there. So it's not as good as the defensive data we have uh, for major leaguers. Obviously it, it can't possibly be do this way, but it actually works better than it has any right to. So while there's still a lot more uncertainty when projecting minor league defense, it's something you can get an idea of. Uh, Brian Hayes is another player in kind of that category that Zips always thought he was an amazing defensive player in yep. the minors based on, on this methodology. And he has turned out to be a pretty excellent defensive player in the majors. All right. So let's tackle a pitcher since we want to touch one pitcher. And this is someone you haven't written about. I'm going to make it personal for me. Um, so every year I try and pick a guy who didn't get any Cy Young votes at any point in his career and say that guy is going to win the Cy Young. And I was trying to come up with a guy for the American League this year and it was hard. And I wound up landing on George Kirby. And the reason that I did that was because I thought his defense was going to be better behind him this year with uh, the left fielder no longer there. Uh, and Julio being better and Colton Wong, who I thought was going to be good, who wasn't. And two, he never walks anybody. And I'm looking at Zips and even with Kirby having had this pretty good start to the year, like two six ERA at the time that we're talking, Zips projects him to a 3.4 ERA for the season. And I'm just curious what gives there. Well, at the start, well, it's still an improvement from before the season where Zips had him at a 3.56 ERA and most of the other projection systems uh, were kind of in the same general range. Uh, one of the problems with projecting Kirby is that there was a great deal of uncertainty from a statistical standpoint around him because coming into the 2022 season, he had like what, 20 professional games. There just wasn't a ton of data to work with and very little in the upper minors to work with. So under those circumstances, the projection systems do tend to be fairly conservative because pictures are inherently risky and uh, when you have a pitcher who's pitching is at the top of their game, the risk is mostly downside than upside. It's a very skewed curve, and you're looking at, at, at one side of it. Generally speaking, there's actually a surprising amount of agreement between the projection systems because Zip, Steamer, uh, the Bat, all have them kind of in the same general range. Yep. Uh, it is slightly concerning that his swinging strike rate is not 
great. Uh, he's still not, you know, finishing. He's not he's not putting away batters as well as he did last year, uh, although his control is still, you know, immaculate. Better deep behind him in theory. Yeah. And and I mean, he's he's nearing almost Tewksbury level uh, this year. Yep. Uh, which, which is which is cool because I love Bob Tewksbury. So- and I'm I'm sadder because when I bring up when I invoke Bob Tewksbury, fewer and fewer people every year remember so- him. When when I come up with that logic for making that pick, is that logic similar to projection system kind of logic? Uh it's 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 fairly similar because people will intuitively be able to do similar things to a projection system. A projection system is just a systematic way of looking at these things. I mean, zips doesn't work dissimilar to how a person would calculate things if they had, you know, infinite brain power uh zips looks at large cohorts of similar players that's not at all different from what people do when they say this guy reminds me of him or him or him yep. uh zips is just doing it in a more systematic way that it's more equipped to do because it's i i can't do a non-parametric model very accurately in my head with that said we've noticed that you're doing quite a bit of work with artificial intelligence recently mostly in the <laughs> realm of the goofy uh, you did some uh, presidents as pixar characters you did a number of fun things how is ai going to be integrated into projection systems whether it be yours or others well ai is already kind of implemented when you talk about neural networks and that kind of general vein uh i'm not a huge uh user of neural networks i actually have a little model i use for save predictions which i'm still kind of refining before i actually use it as an as a public thing that people can get mad at later (laughs) uh because uh, one of the problems you do have with with neural networks especially in baseball what we're talking about is there is a you can risk overfitting and so there's a lot of you know smoothing involved at the data. I'm, but I am a fan of AI as a general concept outside of baseball. I've been, I like to say I'm kind of an AI hipster because I was doing it before it was cool. Uh, <laughs> I've been doing uh, the text uh, AI stuff for about three years now, and I do things like I generate a motto for each team coming into the season. Uh, I don't use ChatGPT. Uh, I, I use uh, something called InferKit because you get funnier results, and that's kind of the fun of it. Image AI obviously has come a long way, and you see a lot of that, and I I, I enjoy that kind of thing amazingly. It It's 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 a bit like projecting in 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 a way in just a general sense. Uh, people like the presidential Pixar uh, thing. I I never expected to go on CNN and talk about a non baseball thing, uh, <laughs> which was kind of weird. Uh, but it it, it 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 amuses me. Hopefully, too many people in my who read me on Twitter don't get too annoyed with it. <laughs> Dan Zimborski, founder of Zips, writer for Fangraphs. Uh, all-around baseball person. Uh, We thank you for taking the time to join us. We will be following your work in the future. Thanks for having me on. Before we get to our next guest, I want to make sure that you're aware of some research we did that you can find on our company website. My colleague Alex Vigderman noticed an inordinate number of pitchers had been hit by line drives and comebackers this season. We ran the numbers, and they're a little unnerving. You can find our work in our Stat of the Week for May 18th on our website, at sportsinfosolutions.com. That's our advertisement. Now back to the episode. Joined as always by SIS VP of Baseball, Bobby Skills, former major leaguer, former NPB, former professional ball player for quite some time, also worked for the Angels and Pirates. Thank you for joining us, sir. 
Always a pleasure, Mark. So I want to talk about some of the things that Dan uh, brought up in his interview talking about the Zips projection system. And I'm curious, um, given that we're talking about uh, projection systems, I'm curious how, when you were with the teams that you were with, how did those teams value projections in combination with the human element? Well, there's always, you want to get the most information as you possibly can from as many sources. I mean, obviously you have, uh, every team has, has scouts and every team has scouts that are more senior than every team has scouts that are like, you know, close uh, special assistance to the general manager or president of baseball operations. And the reason they are is because they have seen and experienced things uh, in the baseball industry for a number of years. And they've earned that opportunity to make sure that the, 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 the decision makers, not just the PBO or the GM are informed with things that they see. So one of the, one of the common things that, kind of gets lost is that you know what people see with their eyes and then can cross-reference with the experiences they have uh professionally that's data too and it's valuable data now on the other side of that it has to be buoyed with with things that we know are measurable and and objective data as well so um i know a lot of those projections are based primarily on um objective data that is gathered uh through you know the statistical analysis and other things but 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 also too i think it's really important um that you have people in the front office who have an understanding of where those where that data comes from how that data is aggregated and in the outcomes from it but also have enough um experience inside of the game to interpret what those things are saying and balance them against what their eyes are seeing too. Cause again, those are forms of that as well. Was, so it's all important. It's really, it's really important. It's um, I think, listen, I've said this many times on our podcast, the, the best, the, the best answers are somewhere in the middle and you need both sides of it. So when you see a situation like, and this is going a pretty ways back, but Tampa Bay or mm. Baltimore, even last year, mm-hmm. um, and you see that they exceed their projections, is that like, do we say, oh, the projection system was wrong? Does the front office or the, the people in, in the know, are they really casting judgments on projection systems or are they accepting the fact that, hey, sometimes things like the Orioles will happen? I, I think it's sometimes things like the Orioles will happen. Part of those projections is not just your projections internally, but it's also what's happening in, in the division, you know, in the division you're playing in. Um, and it's happening in, you know, there, there might be other teams uh, that you just have a good run against that have that are performing below the projections and, and you couple all those things together. So I think when you have a situation, let's talk specifically about the Orioles last year. That team was 31 wins better than they were in 2021. No one predicted that. You know, you may have had a few better wins. You got some uh, a few more wins. Uh, and and basically you had a lot of guys perform better than they were quote unquote projected to perform. And thus that leads to a a, a plus 31 in a year where uh, no one expected that the 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 zips projections probably didn't expect that either. But you had that. So now I don't think you summarily. It's like anything else in life. You don't if you have an an, an outcome that you don't necessarily expect, you don't summarily throw it out uh, as a bad process. So I think it, just some some reasonable evaluation and reevaluation, both from the the team side and then also from the side of uh, whoever's putting those projections forward is necessary and you don't you don't necessarily throw a baby out with the bathwater you just kind of you try to re reevaluate your process and see uh what did we miss or what happened and then you go from there
So I want to go from projections to predictions, because a few days ago, you and I were both watching the baseball game and we we're sitting uh, in front of our TVs a thousand miles apart. Um, and I believe the second inning of the game came around and mm. you told me what was going to happen in that game for one of the teams. And you nailed it exactly right. And it wasn't necessarily something that was easy to pick out based on that pitcher's performance and that team's recent performance. But you're more than 20 years working in pro baseball told you something. So I want to talk about like recognizing things, not from a fantasy or gambling perspective, sure. but from a baseball one. What's an example of something you picked up on? We don't have to necessarily say who it was in this case, sure. but just uh, what's something that you pick up on for a matchup between a, a team and a pitcher who just might look average on the surface where you just suddenly say, oh, this guy's going to be great today. Well, the, it was funny because we were actually, there were several games going on at the time and we just happened to be, again, like you said, a thousand miles away from each other, uh, texting each other, but watching the same game. And it was interesting. And I said, that, you know, after I watched that first inning, I said, this this might be a tough matchup for these for this for this particular team, and the reason why I said that is because you have a, a bunch of young players uh, in the major leagues who are getting a lot of run in the major leagues with a team who is clearly on on the path to uh, rebuilding what they once were, and it was a matchup, like I said, of a bunch of young players who have high upsides. There's high upsides with a lot of these guys on this particular team we were watching, but also too, it was a situation where uh, you have a veteran pitcher on the mound who knows exactly what he's doing. And it's in this particular. So let's start with the, with the offense first. It's a situation where to get to the major leagues as an offensive player, the first thing you have to do is be able to hit a fastball. And you'll hear people talk about it. You know, you're here. You're here. Pitching coaches talk about it also too. You know, you if you you can shoot it out, you can shoot a bullet out of a gun, and a big league hitter is going to figure out how to hit it because they can. And that's clearly a hyperbole. But the point is, you can throw a ball a hundred. 103, 104, 105, and you give a major league hitter enough opportunities to look at it, they're going to hit it. Um, and you don't leave the minor leagues, and this is coming from the PD side of it, and also my own personal development as a player. You don't leave the minor leagues not being able to hit. You don't leave the minor leagues um, without being able to dominate a fastball. If you can't hit a fastball, you're not going to make it long in the big league. Just it won't be as long. Like in years past, it was a, maybe you got a season, or maybe you got one time through through the through the uh through the league as they used to say that's not the case anymore because there's so much more video and so much more information they know if you can't dominate if you can't hit a fastball and where you can't hit it uh and they're going to attack that that weakness early on so most big hit most hitters that are are trying to cut their teeth in the major leagues and establish themselves as hitters in the major leagues can do two things number one well they have two qualities number one they can hit the fastball and two they hunt it and they're aggressive toward it now, let's go out to the mound. A veteran pitcher who understands what he's doing out there in conjunction with the game planning guys and also the catcher, they know those young hitters who are stacked up on each other in a lineup are very aggressive, and they're going to use that aggressiveness against them. So the ability for that particular veteran pitcher to mix, match, land different curve, different breaking balls with different variation in shape and break, and then also take a few clicks off the fastball, add it to a few clicks to the fastball, uh, is is if you have a pitcher that can do that and has shown the ability to do that over, over a number of years, that's going to be a very, very difficult matchup for a group of young hitters um, in a particular lineup. And it's one thing if you have one or two sprinkled in a lineup. Let's just use the Orioles in this in this scenario. You have Gunnar Henderson in that lineup, but you've got Santander. You've got uh, Cedric Mullins. You've got um, Jorge Mateo, who's coming to his own as a hitter. You've got a bunch of guys in Rutschman, even though 
he's a young player. He's really advanced. You have a bunch of, you have a, a collection of hitters where there's some youth, but there's also, it's also balanced out by some veteran presence in that lineup too. But the particular game we were watching, it was young hitter after young hitter after young hitter after young hitter, as most teams who are starting to climb to, to get themselves back where they want to be, that's where they are. So it was just interesting to watch. And after that first inning, we we're like, I was like, mm, this could be a tough day for for those guys because you have a guy who has a full repertoire and understands how to use it. And he's able to add a subtract off of each pitch that he throws, not just a fastball, but each pitch that he throws. And then you have a, a, a very aggressive group of young hitters in that uh, pitcher, the game planning group that that, that that they're working with and also the catcher uh in game or understand have an understanding of how to 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 use the aggressiveness of a hitter of a young hitter especially against them so essentially don't just look at the pitcher's era you have to consider a lot of other things uh no there's there's a ton of different factors you consider but, what are the things um, that we don't see like i was thinking you... about things like day game after night game last game of road trip what are some things like to think about when you're when you're watching a game uh, the biggest thing I like to think, I mean, first of all, so everybody's looking for matchups, you know, you know, the obvious ones, right, left splits. Um, my thing that I like to look at is, you know, okay, I said everybody can hit a fastball, but can everybody hit a good fastball? Can, what are you doing against 95 plus? What are you doing against real velocity? Um, what are you doing against the breaking ball? Because now, I mean, if you, if you've got a guy, okay, he can hit a fastball. He's established that he's established that in the minor leagues. And some guys have even established that in the big leagues. Teams aren't afraid to throw three, four, five, six, seven, eight breaking balls or three, four, five, six, seven, eight changeups in a row to a hitter. You're going to have to at some point to show the, the the opposition and the rest of the league by default that you can handle that pitch uh, or else you're just going to keep getting it. I, I go back to even when Mike Trout, I mean, Mike Trout is, you know, one of the best players, if not the best player on the planet. And there, and there was a big hole at the top of his swing when he first got to the big leagues. And if you hit it three times, you could get him to swing at that pitch three times. If you missed an inch or two down from that spot, you're going to need another baseball. So um, as good as he was, he had a hole. He had a spot you could go to. So understanding, I, I, you know, so, so to answer that question, understanding where the hot zone is uh, and the zones you or the zones you need to stay out of as a, as a pitcher and the zones you need to go to are for each particular hitter. What do pitchers do if you're looking from the uh, offensive perspective? And this is clearly, you know, we're talking about fans right now, but if you're looking from an offensive perspective, what does this pitcher do? Does he throw a ton of strikes in the zone? Is there a lot of vertical and horizontal movement? Does he get a lot of ground balls or is he more of a fly ball pitcher? If that pitcher is a fly ball pitcher, what, what if they're playing, if they're playing in Cincinnati, and you're a fly ball pitcher, it could get loud, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, things of that nature. So I think, I think repertoire of the pitcher. Weak spots of a particular hitter in a lineup, and then collectively as a group, weaknesses of that collective group. Does this group do a good job with runners in scoring position? Does this uh, group do a good job in situational hitting? Um, those are some of the things that if you're if you're looking to go a little bit level, a level deeper as a casual fan or the fan that just loves the game, those are some of the things you can think about uh, in any game you're watching. Sometimes a pitcher with a 4-3 ERA can make an opposing lineup that was on a little bit of a good run uh, look pretty helpless. And Bobby Skills sure. helps us understand why. And we thank him. And uh, we'll catch you in a couple of weeks. Thank you for having me. And this wraps up this episode. You can follow us on Twitter at SIS underscore baseball and read our articles at our company website, sportsinfosolutions.com. For Dan Zimborski and Bobby Scales, I'm Mark Simon. Thank you for listening to the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast.